You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. This week's passage comes from Matthew 13, um, verses 1 to 8, sorry, um, and then 18 to 23. So it's the, uh, the parable of the sower. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And a great, great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let them hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for it was sown on rocky ground, and this is is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for who is sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word But cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches and choke the word, it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. God, we just thank you for this chance to come here this morning and and just hear your word and... and, um, hear your word through uh through pastor greg and uh, we just pray that um that all of our our ears could be open and our hearts could be soft um that we could listen to your word and understand it um as we talk about parables uh that we can understand it in plain terms and uh, and just really let that into our hearts uh and help us strengthen our relationship with you um through this again we pray for for the words of you through pastor greg um amen Thank you, Tim. Good morning, everyone. I'm pretty excited for this morning because uh, today we get to start trying to wrap our heads around Jesus' parable of the kingdom, or parables of the kingdom. Uh, Last week, if you were here, you'll remember that we discussed uh, what these parables were, who they're for, and how to read them. Uh, and how, most importantly, how they show us aspects of the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, and um, while also pointing us to and reminding us of our need for Jesus and what he's done for us and what he's doing for us. And so today, we're going to start digging through these parables, and uh, we're just going to start, of course, with the one that Tim just read, the first one that Jesus taught as he sat in that boat, as the crowds, the large crowd of, of uh, seekers and doubters alike were, were listening to him speak. And, um, of course, it's called the parable of the sower. Um, and as I've 
mentioned to you all before uh, in sermons and messages that are about vines and grapes and fruits and, and weeds and branches and sowing seeds and pruning and all those other agricultural metaphors that, that the Bible is full of and that Jesus loved to talk about. Um, as I've mentioned before about these things, I'm not a farmer, okay? I am not even close to being a gardener. Uh, in fact, Audrey and I, one year we tried to plant a garden in our backyard, and some of you know this story, that it went so well that uh, the next year we covered it up and put a trampoline on top of it for our kids. So that's how, how good of a gardener I am. So when it comes to agricultural terms and farming and stuff, if it sounds like I don't know what I'm talking about, I don't. Uh, <laughs> fortunately... For me, though, and for us, this parable isn't really about farming, right? Uh, and I think for, for most of the crowd gathered there, the information that Jesus gives them about planting seeds and good soil, it's, this is common sense stuff for them, right? They're probably actually surrounded by farm fields, you know, past the, past the beach there, and, and, and they know what he's talking about, right? They know what Jesus is talking about. Um, they're probably hearing him say this, this parable, and they're like, yeah, we plant seeds in good soil, Okay, that, that, that was useless, right? Um, they don't get it, right? But they, well, they get what he's talking about, but they don't initially get, until Jesus explains it to some of them further, that this parable isn't about farming. It's actually about the condition of our hearts, right? The parable tells us that only in good soil can seeds take deep root and therefore produce mature, lasting, and healthy crops, but then as he explains to them further, what this actually means is that only in a cultivated and receptive heart can the gospel of the kingdom of God take root and mature in a way that produces lasting and godly fruit. Okay, so it's safe to assume then that, you know, many people in the crowd that day, that they walked away without getting the full picture that, that we get to have today, right? My guess is that they left disappointed that, that Jesus didn't perform some miracle or, or didn't um, put some Pharisees in their place or whatever, right? Instead, all they got was some advice about farming that they already knew. And that's kind of part of the point here. Some people aren't going to understand or be receptive to the Word of God, right? But Jesus, Jesus says, those who have eyes to see those who have ears to hear, as Jesus says, those, those that want to know and receive the word, they'll get to freely see and hear it. And then he comes through with that promise as he then starts to explain the meaning of this parable to those that wanted to know it. And he starts by explaining, first of all, what I'm going to call the controlled variables in the story. And I'm calling them the controlled variables because, like in a science experiment, um, these are the things in each scenario that don't change, right? They remain consistent in each of the four scenarios that Jesus presents to us. And so we're going to go through these controlled variables first to ensure that we get the full picture and proper meaning of each of the scenarios and the parable as a whole. All right, so first of all, the first controlled variable here is the, the, the seed, Jesus says the sower went out to sow seed, right? So we have to ask yourself, what's, what's the seed? What's the symbolism of the seed? What does it mean? Well, verses 18 to 19 says, Hear then the parable of the sower, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom. So simple enough, right? The seed represents the word of the kingdom or the word of God. More specifically, 
It represents the gospel or good news that the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom has come. That God so loves us that he sent his one and only begotten son to save us by paying the debt for our sin and reconciling us back into his kingdom, right into his eternal kingdom. It's the good news that the savior and king is Jesus that he is that Savior and King that has come, and that by faith in his name, sinners can be saved and made new through that free gift of grace. So the seed, simply enough, is the word of the kingdom, right? And that leads us to the second controlled variable at, at play here, the sower who's sowing the seeds, right? So the sower. And the sower can be another name for farmer, uh, right? And, and sowing is basically another word for planting, right? But instead of planting the seeds with like a, like a shovel or a spade or using some complicated tractor machine, um, I told you I didn't know anything about agriculture, um, <laughs> right? The farmer would, act, back then the farmer would actually walk along the field and with his hands he would, he would scatter the seeds, right? Um, and of course, again, I'm not speaking from experience. I've never done that. I've never scattered seeds uh, along a field, right? Though on Friday morning during the snowstorm, I was uh, shoveling the walk, and then, uh, and then I went out with some ice melt, and I was scattering ice melt along the walkway of the church there, uh, of the front step there of the church. And, and I thought to myself, you know, this is probably what sowing seeds must be like as I was scattering. So I guess in a way, you know, I have done it. Um, so I guess I am speaking from experience. Uh, anyways, back to the sower. So who is the sower? Well, Jesus doesn't actually say who it is. And this is actually important. Um, but, he, in, but in verse 19, right, he implies that the sower is the one proclaiming the word of the kingdom. So in other words, the sower is a messenger or a type of evangelist, right? And, and many argue that Jesus is talking about himself in this parable, and, and, and it definitely applies to, to Jesus, right? But most scholars agree that the consistent factor at play here isn't necessarily who the messenger is. What's important is that the message is being proclaimed, that, that the seeds are being sowed, right? The action of sowing represents the action of proclaiming. As John MacArthur writes, the sower in the parable of the soils isn't expressly identified because his identity is simply not important. He represents anyone who distributes the seed. That's anyone who proclaims the word of God, whether by preaching, personal evangelism, in an individual testimony, or, or whatever. The sower is whoever disperses God's word of the gospel message. So to sum it up so far, really, really easy, right? The seed is the word of the kingdom, or the word of God. And the sower is the one who proclaims it. Really simple, right? These are the controlled variables at play here in each scenario. They're the consistent elements that, that never change, right? And this is incredibly important for us to remember, that these elements never change. Because too often, especially in this day and age, but also in the early church as well, this happened, we tend to feel like we need to change the message, right? We need, that we need to change the gospel message in, in, or that we need to doctor up the way it's proclaimed or leave out the part about us being sinners or, or something so that people aren't offended or we do it to attract more people to our church or so that we're not embarrassed of, of the gospel so we, so we, so we kind of twist it and make it sound a little better. And, and unfortunately for these days, we, we do see many pastors and, and authors and, and so-called evangelists doing this. And so we need to have discernment, right? 
um, whether it's in dressing up the gospel message with, you know, with, with fireworks and manufactured hype about prosperity and getting rich or adding to it with extra biblical ideas like legalism. Even in the early church, right, they, they added the, the, they're trying to add the law back to the gospel message and, or adding to it with false prophecies or, or new age spiritual practices or something, right? Or even watering it down to become some, some simple moral message about how to live your, your life better or, or how to make your business prosper or something, right? So it sounds all fluffy and, and easy and undemanding and, and politically correct even, right? But Jesus is reminding us here that, that no matter who we're proclaiming the word of God to, that the message doesn't need to change and shouldn't change, right? The type of seed remains the same in every scenario Jesus presents in his parable. Therefore, it should remain consistent in the way that we proclaim it as well. As Paul declares in Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And besides, if the message changes, it's not really the message anymore, is it? Right? If, if the gospel is dressed up or watered down, it's no longer the power of God for salvation. As MacArthur again writes, the point Jesus is teaching has nothing to do with the skill of the sower or the quality of the seed. The seed is perfect and eternally unchanging. Any attempt to improve the harvest by using different seed is a misguided dereliction of the sower's duty. The point of the activity is not merely to produce dense but fruitless foliage. If that were the goal, he could sow dandelions or tumbleweeds. It's quite true that these would germinate and grow more easily, but the unadulterated word of God is the only true and legitimate seed. So we need to, we need to remember that the, and trust that there's nothing wrong with the seed, right? It's perfect. There's nothing wrong with the gospel message. It's perfect. And so in the same vein as this quote mentions, it's also a reminder that we don't need to be amazing public speakers or master theologians to sow this word either. Listen to Paul again explain how he sowed this seed of the gospel to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Right, so Paul came to them, not as a great oratorial TED Talk-like speaker with a 50-minute or less message starting with a funny story followed by three points that, have the same, that start with the same letter and a conclusion of how to live our lives better, right? No, he came to them in weakness, right? He came to them in fear, and he spoke poorly, but he was successful because he came to them armed only with the unadulterated word of God. Christ crucified, the power of God for salvation. So how does this apply to us? Well, it means we have no excuse. We have no excuse in our mandate to go and proclaim the gospel. Because the power of God is in the word. 
We don't ha- again, we don't have to be master theologians or professional life coaches and speakers to proclaim it. The seed is sown simply when it's proclaimed. So we can go out and do that. Romans 10.17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So one of the main themes here about the kingdom of God and in this parable is that it needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be heard. That's how the seed is sowed, right? And our calling as Christians of the body of Christ is to go and do that in all nations, in whatever capacity we're able, and with whatever measure of faith that we're given. The other sub-point here, though, is that we can't, when we're proclaiming the gospel, when we're proclaiming the word of God, what we can't control is who's going to receive it and who doesn't. The simple truth, and I'm not going to pretend to fully understand it, is that some will receive it and some won't receive it. And in the same vein, some take time to receive it. And others are immediately receptive to it. We don't control that, right? Either way, we're called to sow the seed. We're called to sow the seed. And sometimes even to water it. Without distinction. Right? To, to anyone and everyone. And even if only one person responds and believes, right? It's worth it. But again, we're just the messengers. Our success doesn't ride or fall on how good we do it because only the Holy Spirit can do the work of getting that message, getting that gospel to take root, which we'll get to momentarily. So moving on then, if both the seed and the sower remain consistent in each scenario, right, as Jesus further explains to his disciples, then the issue here lies directly with those that hear it and how they respond to it which Jesus refers to as the, the four types of soils that the seed is scattered on. So we have the hardened path, right? the rocky ground, the thorny soil, and the good soil. Right? So each one, again, as Jesus explains here, represents the condition of the heart in those who hear the word of God, and as a result, how they're going to respond to it. So we're going to go through them now. Number one, we have the hardened path. So verse 4, it says, and, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Last spring, I tried to reseed uh, my lawn in my backyard because there was a bunch of patches of dirt and, and dead grass everywhere. Um, so I used my handheld seed spreader. You know, you know, you pour the seed in, and you turn the thing, and it sprays the seeds everywhere. So I was walking along the grass doing that. It was pretty fun. And uh, then I watered the lawn. Lots, and, and I stood back, you know, all proud of myself, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm awesome for doing that. Um, doesn't take much to encourage me. Uh, <laughs> yet, the next morning, I woke up, you know, and I looked out the window to see if the grass was already, you know, uh, full, and because, and, you know, I did the right thing. But what I saw was actually dozens of birds on the lawn eating all the seeds, and, and the problem that I came to realize is that the ground in our old north side backyard was so hard and solid that even though I, I followed all the right directions and watered the lawn to try to soften the, soften the soil, right, the seeds just couldn't take root. They just sat on top of the ground as food for the birds. 
And this is, this is also what the ground was like on the walking paths that separated the, the crop fields during Jesus' day, so, so I've read. And, and seeds from the farmer's sowing would certainly land on these paths, you know, because they're throwing it with their hand. It's not a, it's not a precision art, right? So it's, the seeds are going to be scattered everywhere. But it didn't matter because those seeds that landed on those walking paths, they would never take root since the soil was so packed down solid from being walked on all day, right? And, and that, Jesus says, is like the condition of some people's hearts when they hear the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's hardened. Verse 19, it says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So the hardened path represents a stubborn or closed off heart, which cannot comprehend, and let's be honest, doesn't want to comprehend the truth, even if it says it does, right? As the Lord says in Jeremiah 1915 about the people of Israel who were going and chasing their own versions of truths, right? He says, they have stiffened their necks that they might not hear my words. So we have to ask, what, what hardens the heart? What, what makes us stiff-necked like this? Well, there's lots, lots of things. But most notably, sin hardens our hearts. Pride hardens our hearts. Or stubbornness. Or fear. And even, even pain. Right? If we've been hurt in the past, we close ourselves off, right? Many things harden our hearts. And Jesus is most likely referring to the Pharisees as he says this due to their constant closed-mindedness and stubbornness against him as we read throughout his ministry, right? But really, it's also the condition of, of the highly intellectual or, or uber-religious man who thinks he's got it all figured out and doesn't need to hear anything else. Or the woman who's been hurt repeatedly in the past, so she puts up this wall, right? Or the one who refuses to believe because of what people might think out of fear of what others might think. Or even the the sinner who's offended by the idea that he is a sinner and put off by the suggestion that he might have to repent and give up his lifestyle, right? There's, There's many different people that harden their hearts for many different reasons. And in summary, then, the hardened path represents those who might hear the gospel message audibly, but they refuse to receive it inwardly. They might even get dragged to church and hear it every week. Right? They might hear you tell them the gospel at work or at home, but it doesn't matter. Right? These are the people that just won't listen. They'll have none of it. They've claimed the cross is folly, and that's that. But in contrast to that, I think the lesson that we can learn from this type of soil is that, is that the seed of the kingdom can only be deposited in receptive soil, right? In a softened heart. Which brings us to the second type of soil. Number two, the rocky ground. So verse 5 says, Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they have no depth of soil. So supposedly, so I've read again, that if you plant a seed in shallow soil, this is what happens, um, or a soil that's filled with rocks or whatever, that since the root has nowhere to go or grow, then the plant will, will immediately start to go up instead of down, right? And let's be honest, if I saw that happen, like if I was planting a garden and I saw the, the, the plants start to sprout up, I'd be like, sweet success. I'd, I'd think everything was going well. But unlike me, a skilled farmer would know that, that if his or her plant starts to sprout too soon, then that means it hasn't taken root. 
and therefore won't survive very long or be very productive at all. And this, Jesus says, is how some people respond to the word, that they're shallow. Verses 20 to 21 says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And, and this is, unfortunately, an all-too-familiar story that I've seen happen plenty of times. Right? Someone gets super excited about, about Christianity and, and about the, the story of Jesus, and they seem like they're all in, but they haven't counted the cost. And then when something happens, they're out. James Boyce writes, Many people fit that description. We see them in our thriving evangelical churches. Their shallow hearts are attracted to the joy and excitement of a church where much is happening. They hear the gospel and seem to fit in. Many even make a profession of faith, but then some difficulty comes, and just as suddenly as they once seem to embrace the faith, they fall away because they were never really born again. And it's not just the people that, that get caught up in the, in the excitement of church culture or the music or, or, or in traditions or whatever else that, that make them act like they're, they're invested and make them act like they're in. And that certainly happens, and that happens a lot. But I've also seen, I've also seen people like fall in love with and get excited about the richness and depth of the word, right, of, of the doctrine and theology, and they're really into it and, and without actually ever receiving the truth of it. Right? I've seen that plenty of times as well. And so people, you know, they get connected and it looks like they're invested. But of course, either way, the challenges of life eventually take over and everything is made clear. Right? Maybe because they're made fun of or persecuted for going to church or they're faced with a life-changing type of temptation that they just have to give into or something tragic happens in their lives a job loss, an argument with another church member, a death in the family. And all of a sudden, this Jesus thing isn't so much fun and exciting anymore, and they leave it for something else, something else that will make them excited again or give them that rush that they're looking for, right? This is the shallow heart. Again, it looks like it's been receptive, but in the end, it's not. And I'd wager that most people in the crowd, as I mentioned before, most people in the crowd listening to Jesus that day probably fit that description, right? Here's Jesus, this, this, this new teacher, this new rabbi who's doing all these miracles and saying all these amazing things, and they all want to get in on the action, and they're all following it. But what they probably wanted, right, was to see just these miracles, and they wanted to see these signs, maybe experience some healings or something, and, and to even hear his teachings, right, because it's, it's fresh and it's new and exciting, but did they really want to lay their lives down and follow him? Right? Jesus reveals their shallow heart here by teaching in parables. Did they really have ears to hear? Which reminds us then that for the word of the kingdom to truly last, it needs to take root. It can't be shallow. It needs to take root. And then that brings us to the next type of soil. The thorny soil. Verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. 
So we all know what happens when weeds start to, to grow in our garden or in our lawn, right? The, the weeds will, will choke out the roots and the foliage of the plants around it, uh, and, and this prevents those plants from pro- properly functioning, right? And as a result, it eventually kills them off, and this in turn gives the weed more room to multiply in its place. And, and we live in a world and culture that's full of these metaphorical weeds that try to choke us off, right, and, and distract us from our faith. You know, whether it's all our stress and anxiety at work and at home, or, you know, coupled with our desire for things and worldly pleasures and gadgets and wealth and measuring up to one another, the list goes on and on, right? And as Jesus points out, the top of the list of weeds and often the culprit of our anxiety too is certainly, certainly our greed, Right? Our, our, our love for money. In many ways, we're often like that rich young ruler who walked away sorrowfully from Jesus because he couldn't do what Jesus asked him to do in order to follow him. Jesus asked him to sell everything he had and give all the money to the poor and follow him, but he just couldn't do it. Those riches choked out his ability to receive the kingdom. That's why Jesus reminds us also that we, that we can't serve two masters. Is it okay to have money? Yeah, of course. That's not what this is about. But are we serving that money? Are we idolizing that money? Are we trusting in that money? As Jesus says, we can't serve God and mammon. We can't serve God and money. We can't serve God and any other thing that we idolize. Because if we're too distracted serving another master, how can we grow and mature in Christ? How can we trust and glorify God in our lives if we're busy trusting and glorifying in something else? But but as is often the case, right, our obsession with keeping up with the Joneses, if I may use that cliched line, often does choke out our desire and ability to follow Jesus. We get so caught up in it. And this choking of the weed, it doesn't happen overnight, right? It doesn't happen quickly. It happens over time. Which means we need to be watchful and very careful in our own lives with what we're truly pursuing, what we're truly investing in, what we're truly desiring. Are we living to glorify Jesus or ourselves? Are we investing in and being productive for the kingdom of God? Or are we investing in our own self-centered kingdoms? Or maybe I'll put it in a way that's more relatable to us. Do we always make excuses how we can't tithe or take time to go and serve the poor, but we have no problem with paying for our subscriptions to Netflix and HBO and taking the time to watch our shows? What are we investing in? But in summary, we can also learn from this type of soil is that those who are truly receptive to the word of the kingdom, they don't get distracted. They don't get caught up by the things of the world. But instead, they continue to grow and mature in the word. And finally then, we've come now to the last type of soil that Jesus describes, the good soil. Verse 23 As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another sixty and in another thirty. So this soil, of course, represents the heart that that is softened and, and receptive to the word of God. 
right? A heart that's prepared to receive the gospel, a heart that understands it so that it not only takes root, but grows and matures, eventually producing fruit, right? And, and it, he doesn't say what the fruit is, but we can, you know, sur- surmise from the rest of scripture that, that the fruit is the evidence of our faith, right? Which could be many things. It, it could be uh, our reflection of the fruit of the spirit in our conduct, right? Our, our worship and our declaration of the glory of God in our lives, our commitment to making disciples and advancing the gospel, our, our joy in serving the poor and the widow, our continued spiritual growth and as individuals in the body of Christ, and the way we, we reflect Christ in our relationships and also in the growth and, and maturation of our gifts that we've been given and, and the way we use them to proclaim the gospel and the kingdom of God. That, you know, the fruits are the evidence of our faith. It's the evidence of those that have truly received the implanted word of God. And as Jesus points out, we won't just bear fruit, but we'll bear fruit abundantly. Bear fruit abundantly, producing crops, he says, a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold of what the farmer originally invested One quick note about that, though, is to to remember that these different crop yields mean that not every follower of Christ is going to bear the same amount of fruit as as another follower of Christ, right? So we can't go comparing ourselves with each other in that regard. The point, though, again, is that if the seed of God is truly implanted in our hearts, then we will bear fruit. We will bear fruit. We will display the evidence of the kingdom of God in our lives. Just as Jesus declared when he said, I am the vine and every branch in me will bear fruit. So what's the moral of the story here? What's the, what's the, what's the theme of the parable? Well, it seems simple, right? We have to be good soil. We have to be good soil that's, that's prepared to receive the word of God with repentant, humble, and thankful hearts. We have to be good soil that's cultivated and deep enough for the word of God to take root and last. We have to be good soil that's free of weeds and thorns, but rich in nutrients so that the word can grow strong and healthy. We have to be good soil that eventually produces abundant fruit-bearing crops that display the evidence and power of the kingdom of God. Right? So I'm going to conclude with this then. Be good soil. The end. Of course, I'm not serious. Yes, we need to be good soil. And we should be preparing our hearts daily to humbly and joyfully receive his word. But the point here, the point here is that we can't make ourselves become good soil in the same way a potato can't make itself a bag of chips. It's impossible. It's impossible. But fortunately for us, nothing is impossible with God. This is Jesus' point. That apart from him, we're the three soils that can't understand or receive the word of God. We're the stubborn. We're the shallow. We're the greedy. But God in his relentless pursuit and love for us, he doesn't withhold his word here. Right? The seed is sown on every type of soil. To every person, 
But again, the problem isn't the message. The problem isn't the messenger. In fact, God desires that all would be saved and that all would know him. The problem, the obstacle, is the sinful condition of our hearts. We can't remove our sin on our own. We can't face down our temptations. We can't remove our guilt and pride. Which means that we need, first of all, someone else to do this for us. We need someone to turn our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. In other words, to grasp the kingdom, for it to truly change us and move us, we need the king. We need Jesus. Because only Jesus can soften and renew our hearts. Only Jesus can remove our sin and put his spirit within us. Only Jesus can enlighten us to the truth and transform us by it. Only Jesus can make the blind see. Only Jesus can make the deaf hear. Because only Jesus is the one who defeated our sin and our death at the cross. This isn't just about salvation either. Even those of us who already believe, we still have to be dependent on his word and on his spirit to keep our hearts receptive and soft and focused on the gospel's work in us as well. As it says in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, this is the Lord speaking. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be cleansed of all your pollution. I will cleanse you of all your idols I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your stony heart from your body and replace it with a living one. And I will give you my spirit so that you may walk according to my regulations and carefully observe my case laws. So how do we become good soil and remain that way? Good soil that bears fruit, abundant fruit. We simply need to come to Jesus. And ask him to do it. Ask him to soften our hearts. Ask him to open our hearts to receive his word. Like David, we need to humbly repent and submit ourselves before the Lord and ask him, as it says in Psalm 51.10, to create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And he will. He will. I'm going to pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that we could come here this morning to worship you, to stand in your presence, to gather together as the body of Christ and dig into your word, Lord. To hear the gospel message, the good news that you have saved us that you died on the cross for us. That you rose from the dead and conquered death so we could be given new life, new eternal life with you, Lord. So that we could be invited and reconciled back into your kingdom, Lord. But I pray that that message this morning won't fall flat. Lord God, that it won't be food for the birds. 
Lord God, but that you would open our hearts to receive this message, Lord. For those that have never received it before, I pray that you would soften their hearts, even in this moment, Lord God, that they would receive your truth, that your word would be implanted in inside of them, Lord God. That they would receive it with, with repentance and, and humility, Lord God. And I pray for those that, that know it, Lord God, that you would continue to remind us with your spirit within us to, to continually look to you and trust in you and, and surrender to you, to your leading, to your guidance, to your word, Lord God. I pray that any, any, any bitterness, any sin, anything that's, that's putting up a wall, anything that's hardening our hearts, Lord God, that you would remove those things. You would break any chains, Lord God that are binding us, that are keeping us from knowing you and growing and maturing in your word and producing fruit and proclaiming your gospel to this city. And Jesus, I thank you that you made all this possible. That you did soften our hearts. That you didn't leave us blind. That you didn't leave us deaf. You didn't leave us wandering in the darkness. But, but you implanted your word in us that you saved us we glorify your name